Good afternoon, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Will Tarter, Associate of Public Policy and External Affairs at the Center for Community Solutions and co-chair of the City Club Debate Committee. Most of the ballots in Cuyahoga County for the November 2020 elections will contain one of two proposed levy measures. Issue 68, a 15 mil levy renewal with a five mil increase for the Cleveland Metropolitan School District and issue 70, a permanent one mil increase to support the Cuyahoga County Public Library System. Today, leaders from both organizations will explain the respective levies and what their passage or failure would mean for staff, constituents, and the community. The hour will be divided in half with each levy receiving 30 minutes. As in every City Club forum, you can participate with your questions. If you have questions about either the CMSD or the Cuyahoga County Public Library levy, text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club. We'll try to work them in. Moderating today's forum is Kayla Griffin Esquire, Ohio State Director for All Voting is Local. Launched in 2018, All Voting is Local is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization working to build an election system that is accurate, fair, and accessible to all. With a background in community organizing, Ms. Griffin advocates for voting rights and election protection as the chair of the Norman S. Minor Bar Association Community Engagement Committee and serves as the Cleveland branch of the NAACP as the Criminal Justice and Legal Redress Chair. She holds a Juris Doctorate and a Master's in Public Administration from Cleveland State University and a Bachelor's Degree from Kent State University. Ms. Griffin, I now turn the forum over to you to introduce our speakers. Thank you, Will. Thank you so much for having us. Today's forum will start with Issue 68, the CMSD Levy. This proposed tax increase will cover operating expenses for 10 years. Supporters say that approval would help CMSD continue progress made under the Cleveland plan and pay for the needs caused um, by COVID-19 pandemic. Voters first passed the levy in 2012 and renewed it four years ago, both times by a comfortable margin. If the levy is not renewed, the current one will expire in December and results uh, and, and it will result in cuts to staff and programs. Joining us today on issue 68 is Eric Gordon, CEO of the Cleveland Municipal School District. Mr. Gordon was appointed CEO of CMSD in June of 2011 after serving as the district's chief academic officer for four years. He is the architect behind the Cleveland Plan, which has received national attention for its strong bipartisan support and unprecedented collaborative process that um, united people from Cleveland around a collective mission to transform their public school system. Just last week, he delivered his 10th State of the School Address. Welcome back to the City Club, Mr. Gordon. You and um, thank you everyone for having me. Really appreciate being here today. I want to thank the City Club and particularly uh, Will Tarter and Kayla Griffin for uh, your support today. I want to start by just giving a brief presentation about what Issue 68 is. 
uh, how we came to it and why it matters. And then I really look forward to getting engaged, Kayla, with you and the questions that I know you've prepared and our um, constituents will share. Um, I wanna start just by highlighting a few of the accomplishments of the district under the Cleveland plan. Starting with our littlest learners, we have a 72% increase in high quality preschool enrollment in pre, our, our pre for pre public private partnership. We've seen a fifth, we are in the top 15% of districts in Ohio in improving K-3 literacy. Not that we're at the top of uh, reading, but that when kids are behind, we catch them up. And that's out of over 600 districts uh, across the state of Ohio. We've seen increases in both K-3 literacy rates and third grade reading guarantee, while we've seen decreases in our Ohio eight peers at the same time. We're among the top 4% of districts uh, in growth on reading and math scores. So across our K-12 system, uh, we're growing and catching our kids up. And we are the fourth fastest improving graduation rate in the state of Ohio out of over 609 districts. Our teachers measure parent engagement, which is a high priority for us and report that over 90% of our teachers are active, um, parents are actively engaged with their children's teachers throughout the year. And our get to school, you can make it effort has reduced off track attendance by over 21% over the uh, several years of the campaign. Particularly for our graduation rate, our graduation rate continues to be among the fastest improving statewide year after year. In 2011, when I became CEO, our graduation rate was 52.2%. Today, it is 80.1%, which is a 27.9 percentage point gain or a 53% increase. More importantly, our African-American graduation rate, which represents 68% of our district, is 80.9%, and that's almost six points higher than the African-American graduation rate for the state of Ohio. Our Hispanic graduation rate, representing 17% of our district, is 82.6%, and that's nearly five and a half points higher than their peer group in Ohio, meaning that our Hispanic and African-American students are more likely to graduate than their peers statewide. And just for context, the state graduation rate is 85.9%, meaning that we have closed the gap with only about a four-point uh, gap between us and the state average at this point. So what does that mean? And just in a snapshot, in 2012, we were Ohio's worst performing school district. We are now one of Ohio's fastest improving school districts. That does not mean we've reached our goal. We have a great more to do, but it does mean that we are catching up and that's how we get to our goal is moving further and faster than our peers. Uh, the community also knows, I believe, about our Say Yes to Education effort, a two-pronged effort to establish a 25-year commitment to funding every graduate's uh, dreams for trade school, two-year or four-year college with a uh, tuition scholarship to any public institution in Ohio and over 100 private institutions across the country. We've raised as a community over $93 million toward that uh, goal. And we are also providing core services such as health, mental health, legal clinics, after-school programs, and a number of other uh, basic needs services in now 43 schools across the district and community. Um, and we'll have all of our schools covered by 2023 so that we can block um, and the barriers that poverty creates for our children. Our financial context, which is what levies are about, uh, is important as well. Um, as Kayla mentioned, in 2012, Cleveland voters passed our four-year 15-mil levy. It was the first levy that was passed in over 16 years, and one mil of that is shared with partnering charter schools, of which there are 17. 
In 2016, Cleveland's voted, Cleveland voters renewed that levy with a comfortable margin, and that's the levy that will expire on December 31st if we do nothing. And just for context, the 15 mil levy represents about $67 million or 12% of the district's net operating budget. It's also important to understand that school districts have something called the House Bill 920 effect. Uh, this was put in place in 1976 and ensures that school levies do not increase their value after they've been voted on. And so it's essentially a ceiling or a cap uh, to ensure that the levy only pays for what voters actually approve. So that means school levies don't keep up with inflation, which has increased 13.6% over the last eight years, nor do they capture the value of increases in existing property values. Uh, and that's why you see school districts return to the ballot more frequently than you see other agencies is because of this ceiling effect in Ohio law. So what influences our financial health? Well, since 2012, local property tax collections have grown slowly, about eight-tenths of a percent annually. Our state aid is $31 million higher. However, our payments to charter school and voucher payments has also increased by nearly the same amount, $30.5 million, meaning that we're only receiving about a half million dollars more in state aid over the eight-year period. Particularly, this is driven by the Cleveland Scholarship Program, which is CMSD's version of EdChoice which has increased in its cost by 97% over this eight year period, even though it is not serving a larger number of students. Uh, inflation matters as well. Inflationary rate has been about 1.7% annually, or 13.5% over the past eight years. And again, the levy does not keep up with that um, inflation rate. And just for context, our employees have received cost of living adjustments that average about 1.1% annually, so less than the annual inflation rate. Uh, we also looked carefully at how we rate compared to first ring districts that surround Cleveland. And you can see in the green that Cleveland is near the bottom in the total tax rate um, uh, that we uh, ask of our voters. Um, and we are in the bottom third. And even uh, when this levy passes, we will still be in the lower half of uh, the taxing rates of local school districts around the first ring. I mentioned the Cleveland Scholarship Program. This is one of the reasons that uh, we are in need of continued support. Um, the Cleveland Scholarship Program, um, the district pays approximately 60% of the cost of that program compared to between uh, nothing and about 10% for most other districts. Columbus is an outlier at about 47%, and that's because Columbus is the highest wealth of the urban districts. If Cleveland were counted like all other districts, just for context, we would only be paying 8% of that cost. But right now, our taxpayers are paying 60% of the cost of that program. We have been putting cost controlling measures in place over several years. Uh, we last November approved a long-term facilities plan, which will result, did result in the closing of eight school buildings and the consolidation of 12 programs and also uh, we'll finish our construction project with the renovation or construction of four new school buildings. We reduced $20 million in our general operating expenses in fiscal year 20, but we kept those away from our strategy, our school, our kids, and our classrooms. And in 21, we also reduced another $14 million, and that was before COVID-19 hit. We have been continuing to control healthcare, and anyone in business knows this is a big driver of costs. 
our annual increases in healthcare for the last two years has been 1.2% compared to a 6% national increase. And then we've partnered with a national leader in energy conservation to optimize our energy use and our utility expenses as well. So we've been very deliberate in maintaining cost controlling measures in how we operate the district. But we have had to adjust to COVID-19 as it has everyone else. And there's a number of financial impacts that have uh, come out. First, the state did reduce state aid for schools, both in fiscal year, uh, in school year 2019 and 20, the one that just finished, and in this current year, 2020, 2021. The net total of that is an $11.2 million reduction in revenue for the district. The levy itself is $67 million or 12% of our budget. And then if we see recession level delinquencies, we know every 1% of the tax delinquencies is about $2.5 million, uh, which could be up to a total of $25 million. Um, other factors that are in play is uh, legislation at the federal level that would allow states to fund schools at a three-year average, which would reduce our budget by another $17.5 million annually. We did receive CARES Act funding for $24 million. We've already incurred $22 million in new technologies, internet connectivity, PPE, and many other things, and, and estimate another $20 million for the balance of this year. And there were some savings um, through the shutdown period, not running buses, substitute teachers, and we've accounted for that as well. And finally, we are continuing to monitor neutral federal stimulus funding um, as Congress continues to contemplate stimulus and stabilization dollars. <clears throat> Our five-year forecast shows that we do not have enough money to continue operating uh, without a levy renewal. And even with a levy renewal, we would still be making cuts. And so I uh, felt that we couldn't responsibly ask a community to renew the levy and then turn around and still make cuts that would hit kids in classrooms. So we gathered a panel of uh, community members who have been long supporters of the uh, Cleveland plan and the school district, including members of our board and district, the Cleveland Council of Administrators and Supervisors and the Cleveland Teachers Union, representatives of Mayor Jackson's office, Greater Cleveland Partnership, both the Cleveland and George Gunn Foundation and Breakthrough Charter Schools and studied the levy issue to make our recommendation. What we heard is we heard and understand the community's concern that a four-year levy cycle, which we've been on now for eight years, is too frequent and creates a cliff for the district, that $67 million that will expire in December if we take no action. But we heard counter to that, uh, the business community's concern about a continuing tax that never gets a sense of accountability where voters get to weigh in again. We also heard and agree that the K-12 funding system in Ohio doesn't work and creates an unfair burden on both residential and commercial taxpayers. Uh, however, that's largely out of our control and we have a responsibility to respond to our kids and community. We heard charter school advocates argue for a significant increase in the amount of levy dollars that we share here in Cleveland and other stakeholders who did not support any increase for charter schools. And finally, we heard concern that there could be opposition to the school levy, which we do now have, especially during this COVID-19 uh, recovery period. All of that is how we formed this recommendation, which is before voters as issue 68, a 15 mil renewal of the levy that will expire and a five mil increase of which an additional one half mil would be shared with partnering charter schools, extending the four year period to a 10 year term so that voters can again hold us accountable 
for our performance and that we ask it as a single levy question, issue 68. When issue 68 is approved, then we are then able to forecast that we can operate the district in the black for at least the next four years of the four-year forecast. Uh, this is obviously dependent on any changes to state and federal aid as well. And then finally, I would just say that um, I certainly understand the very difficult, disruptive time in our community, our state, and our country. I think anyone who has children uh, and, and is going through some form of remote or hybrid learning environment uh, knows too well how absolutely critical schools are and getting kids back into learning uh, is right now. Um, but would just remind us that our 15 mil levy will expire at the end of December if we did nothing at all. And that's 12% of our budget, which would require us to close schools, lay off staff, and make deep cuts to programming, much like we did back in 2010 and 11 during the recession. Uh, we believe that over the last eight years, we've made significant progress, including on Ohio's third grade reading guarantee, improvements in reading and math scores, our huge gains on graduation rates, and particularly for our minority children, our Black and Hispanic students, um, and simultaneously have been carefully controlling costs so that we didn't ask for any new money over the last eight years. What issue 68 will do is allow us to continue the progress we're making and to make the new investments that have been necessary to respond to COVID-19, including moving the district to a completely digital environment where every child has a, a technology device, a tablet or a computer, and getting internet connectivity into our homes and providing meal service across the city, as well as many other investments that COVID-19 has required. The additional five mills that we are asking for is essentially about $7 per month for the average taxpayer in Cleveland, for the average homeowner in Cleveland, um, which uh, again, demonstrates our effort to keep the ask as small as possible while continuing our progress. And I just wanna thank you again for giving us this forum and I look forward to our questions and our discussion. Thank you so much. That was, um, that was definitely insightful for me. Um, in a few minutes, we'll turn to your questions as viewers. If you have any questions for Eric Gordon about issue 68, please text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club and we'll try to work them in. While we're waiting for questions to come in, I, I had some questions. I had to do a, a, um, a location change because everybody's home. We're getting stuff done and, you know, kids are running. How is it um, that if somebody is, wants to get some more information, how can they get additional information um, about what is going on? Is that somewhere on your website? How, how do they find that? So for the school district and how we're responding to COVID, we have an entire section uh, called Reopening CMSD dedicated on our website. Uh, we also have levy information, including uh, a version of this presentation and fact sheets available on the website. Uh, there's also a great deal more at keepkleekidsmovingahead.com, uh, which are the uh, advocates supporting the levy and helping us to get this passed. Very good. Thank you. Um, we had an audience question, and it was actually going to be my next question, so I'll just loop that in. How are you approaching asking for more money during COVID-19 and the pandemic, knowing some of the economic um, hardships that we're seeing for families? You know, that was a really difficult decision. And what we came to is if we simply renewed the levy, 
if we came to you and the community and said, renew this levy, we knew we would immediately turn around and make cuts to balance the budget because it simply wasn't enough after eight years. And we felt that it was more ethically responsible to tell the full truth and be transparent that after eight years, we need a small increase, $7 a month for the average uh, assessed home value here in Cleveland, than to sell to the community a renewal and then immediately cut programming because the renewal simply couldn't stretch another four years. Makes sense. Um, is there any public forums that people can attend virtually now or um, socially distanced that they can get some more information on issue 68? Uh, so there is actually a uh, campaign kickoff this afternoon at five o'clock that will be providing additional information, including the people who are supporting it across our city. There are a number of community leaders, both formal and informal leaders, a number of endorsers that have uh, uh, signed on. So that's this evening at five o'clock. Uh, the Cleveland Foundation is also doing some forum work for uh, many of their constituents. And then we are always available to be invited to other forums. In fact, yesterday I presented at uh, a faith leaders forum. Uh, and so people can certainly request us to come and speak like this at any forum that they're having virtually. We're happy to do that. Perfect. Thank you. Um, I have another audience question here. How is the fundraising going for this campaign, which traditionally has been supported by corporate communities, especially in light of well-funded anti-levy campaigns that sent out new wave of brochures to voters today? Well, I have to say I'm really grateful to the uh, Greater Cleveland Partnership and the business community who have both formally endorsed the levy and also have been fundraising for it. Um, and there's been a number of other partners that have uh, supported it, the Cleveland Teachers Union and, and many others. I think a big difference to the funded opposition is that, um, and, and I know this is important to you, uh, Kayla, is that ours is all being done very transparently. You know who we are, you know where the money's coming from, you know how much we're reporting it as part of participating in an issue campaign, as opposed to the opposition who has set up uh, their position to fund the campaign uh, in the dark instead of being fully transparent about who's trying to influence voters and how. Yeah, we talked a little bit about like the, the opposition. Do, are they giving any type of reasoning why they're opposing the levy? Well, you know, their literature uh, is, I would say, uh, really stretching the truth. So, uh, for example, they suggest it's an additional $90 million a year, when in fact 75% of the levy has already been approved twice, and it's actually that $7 a month that is the additional dollars. Uh, that the district's not accountable, when in fact we've set up our levies on time limits, which is the first time Cleveland's done that in its history, so that voters can hold us accountable. That we're not getting results when our math scores, reading scores, parent engagement, student attendance, and graduation rate have all consistently improved. That somehow uh, supporting kids and families is going to hurt the economy, when in fact we know we are the highest childhood poverty in the country, the worst connected city in the country, and the ninth most racially segregated in the country, and that the avenue out of that is education, not trapping people in low-wage jobs because they can't get the education they need. And that uh, kind of exploiting the pandemic is a reason not to support schools instead of seeing all that schools have had to do uh, to, to feed children, to create learning pods, to get technology in their hand, to connect families that never had internet. Uh, this is actually exactly the time that we need to, to support uh, those families who are often most marginalized in our community. 
Very good. I, I You said something that sparked a question yesterday. I watched the City Club's um, discussion around race and the the divide that's going on. And one of the speakers uh, mentioned the um, that the city, the city's CMSD still had some segregation that we're still reeling from. What does that look like and how are we looking to address that? And what does accountability look like from um, the city's, uh, the city and parents and concerned citizens? How do we help to push that issue? Well, look, we are an 87% minority school district. So um, you're not going to find any building that is fully integrated because we are a minority community. Um, but we can embrace that and we can make sure that we are educating our minority community effectively uh, so that they have a path out of poverty. And one of the uh, people who is a co-chair of our campaign uh, was an East High School graduate in 2008. He's now got his master's degree from Weatherhead and owns his own home. And that's when you're starting to exit poverty, when you actually own property and can leverage against it, as opposed to continuing to be in low skill, low wage jobs because you didn't get the education you need. So I think that's one exact reason why this investment is so critical to our city if we really care about racial justice and ending these social inequities. Very good. I have another question from the community here. I'll read this. It says, does the conversation at the state level around changing the state school funding formula create any uncertainty about fiscal projections in the future for the district? So uh, that's a smart constituent. I have been in this role for 10 years. Every two years with the biennium, we get a new state budget that changes the point of view every single time. Um, I am a huge advocate in Columbus to try to get fair funding for us. I've worked closely with uh, Cup Patterson on their proposed Cup Patterson fair funding bill. I've testified before uh, the, the uh, state legislature on these funding issues. And I co-chair the Ohio Urban Eight, uh, which is a coalition of districts that advocate for our children. So while I am asking our voters for support here for a funding system that has not worked in my entire career, I'm also working very, very closely in Columbus to try to finally get a solution to the funding system that was found unconstitutional um, in the early 1990s. Folks, we have a few minutes. So if you still have questions, please send those in. Um, while we're parsing through the questions, I have another question because in your presentation, you talked about some of the things that are outside of your hands, specifically how the state runs and how they're um, making legislation. Um, we want to know what happens if the levy does not pass. Like, so what do, we, if, what do we do? If the levy doesn't pass, we are going to see, you know, candidly catastrophic cuts in the district. It's 12% of our net operating budget. We've already trimmed millions out of the budget to keep it away from kids and families. We're going to have to close more schools. We're going to have to lay off significant numbers of teachers and other educators. And we're going to have to cut programs like we did in 2010. That was our art and music, library and media, extracurricular, student transportation, things that matter for kids and families. So we have to get this done and we will get it done by supporting issue 68 for our kids. Yeah, thank you. Can you tell me what that can look like going into like reintegrating our students back into the system um, in a post-pandemic uh, society? Um, I, I heard you spoke about um, making sure that everybody is digital. We have you know tablets, internet access. What does that look like? 
Well, so part of what uh, issue 68 will allow us to do is not just get kids devices for this pandemic, but keep us digitally connected long term, like many of our peer suburban districts already are, where every child has either a tablet or a laptop so that they can work at home and in school. And just to give you an example, in March, right before COVID shut down, our advanced placement computer science teachers did not sign, uh, sign computer science homework because they knew that children couldn't go home, get on the internet and get on a computer to do their homework. So they signed, assigned low tech homework. And then when kids came to school, they would open the labs early in the morning, keep them open after school so that the kid could access the lab. Now, because of COVID for every bad thing it did, those AP computer science kids are online doing computer science as their homework. We have to maintain that and issue 68 will allow us to do it. Thank you. Um, we are at the last two minutes, so I have a question for you. If passed, how will the public be able to monitor the spending of the new tax dollars to ensure that the promises made during the campaign are kept and that the money will actually go toward where it's promised? So we public, uh, publicly publish on our website monthly accountability reports for our funding. We twice a year go to the board and update the board on a full five-year forecast to show funding trends and changes. We also publish an annual, it's called a CAFR, which is an annual financial reporting document. Uh, so there are many, many ways that we publicly and transparently share the data and information. All of it is available on our website in the finance section. Um, and part of the reason that it is not a continuing levy is that we wanted voters to have actual authority, in this case, 10 years. It seems like a long time, but two fours went really quickly. Um, and to not have a cliff every four years, but to still have accountability uh, to the taxpayers. And, you know, just like we've had the running clock, that accountability matters. Knowing that we have to prove we've earned renewal matters. And that's why it is a time limited levy. Well, that brings us to the end of our discussion on issue 68. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, and I look forward to seeing the issue on the ballot. Thank you, Kayla. Thank you. Now we will turn to issue 70. This is the Cuyahoga County Public Library levy. This proposed tax increase would add to the continuing 2.5 million levy our 2.5 mil levy that funds 70% of the library's operations. That's a lot of, that's a lot of operation costs. Um, supporters point to CCPL's ranking as America's top rated library system for the last 10 years by Library Journal. Additionally, they noted that CCPL has the lowest mileage of any of the nine county libraries. If the levy fails, CCPL plans to reduce hours, defer maintenance, and eliminate other services. Joining us to talk about Issue 70 is Tracy Strobel, Executive Director of uh, Cuyahoga County Public Library. Tracy was appointed as the Executive Director in July of 2019 after serving as Deputy Director for 14 years. Her major accomplishments with the library system include leading the largest capital improvement program in the library's history, which includes the replacement of 10 branches and renovation of 14 branches over a period of seven years. Welcome to the City Club. Thank you, Kayla. 
I am excited to hear about what you guys have and I will turn it over so that you can jump into your program. Terrific, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Let me get my slides up. Well, good afternoon and thank you Kayla for that kind introduction and thank you to the City Club for this opportunity to share the story of the Cuyahoga County Public Library and why issue 70 is critical to maintain the library as one of the region's greatest assets. I'm incredibly proud to lead one of the nation's best and busiest public library systems. Library Journal, our profession's largest trade publication, has named CCPL the highest rated large library system in the country for the last 10 years in a row. Many people ask how we've achieved such an outstanding recognition year after year. My hope is that I'll be explaining that today through this presentation and that you have no uh, doubt why CCPL is the nation's best library system. First, a few quick facts about CCPL. Cuyahoga County Public Library serves 620,000 residents across 47 municipalities. There are eight additional independent library systems in communities across the county. Residents in these communities will not see issue 70 on their ballot. Only residents in the 47 communities CCPL serves will be asked to vote for issue 70. CCPL provides library services from 27 branches that span inter-rig suburbs like Brooklyn and Warrensville Heights and stretch out to the farthest reaches of our county like Mayfield and Strongsville. We also have a robust collection of digital resources from eBooks to e-audiobooks, streaming music and movies, and digital magazines. In 2019, our public library system had more visitors than all Indians, Cavaliers, and Browns games combined. Our 5 million visitors bar borrowed 14.5 million items and used our computers more than 850,000 hours. 330,000 children and adults attended library programs to explore new interests, connect with their favorite authors, learn new skills, and engage with their neighbors. The Cuyahoga County Public Library is incredibly proud to offer a wide variety of programming for all ages and interests. Our programming embraces our mission to create an environment where reading, lifelong learning, and civic engagement thrive. For our youngest residents, the library supports family engagement to boost early literacy and language development. Parents are a child's first teacher, and the library helps parents be the best teacher they can be. Our innovative baby club program, our early childhood spaces in our branches, and our partnerships with community organizations that share our goals all support families with young children. A quick example is in Maple Heights, where we partner with the Centers for Family and Children and have a preschool embedded right within the library. For students, we're a partner in their academic success. By partnering with our 25 school districts, we serve first and second grade students identified as at risk for failing the third grade reading guarantee. We provide one-on-one -on -one tutoring with trained volunteers so that these children will succeed and 90% of them do raise their reading levels through this program. Our homework centers deliver after-school homework help to students 
in our 10 lowest performing school districts. And during the summer, the library offers hundreds of programs that are fun and hands-on, learning STEAM skills like coding, robotics, engineering, and so much more. All of our programs are free of charge and available to everyone. For adults, we're so much more than books on the shelf. Last year, we hosted more than 100 visiting authors, from Senator Sherrod Brown and Connie Schultz, to Chef Michael Simon, to best-selling author Michael Conley. And as our branches closed, we pivoted to offering author events online. A few weeks ago, we hosted Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi to talk about their collaborative book called Stamped. 900 people attended this virtual program, not just from our region, but from across the country. The library is often the very first place new immigrants in our community come for a connection. Our classes help so many new neighbors feel welcome and begin the journey to make their American dream come true. Adult learners seeking a degree, a certificate, or just new skills use the library and their Aspire Greater Cleveland program. These are state-funded programs for adults that teach basic literacy for those who can't read, prepare adults to pass the GED high school equivalency test, they teach English to non-English speakers, citizenship classes, and digital literacy. Our career coaches build job search and job readiness skills. Our tech trainers offer free basic and intermediate instruction in the Microsoft Office suite. We offer Aspire Greater Cleveland services across the county, including in the city of Cleveland, not just at libraries, but at rec centers, the Virgil Brown Center downtown, and even in the county jail. We were incredibly proud to, earlier this year to graduate 14 students in the county jail with a high school equivalency diploma. These services are possible in no small part because of our outstanding facilities. Our 27 branches are convenient, efficient, and the pride of the cities in which they are located. Over the past decade, we have invested $110 million in the local Greater Cleveland economy with 24 branch replacement projects and renovations. These projects have allowed us to provide more services and programs to our residents while costing less to staff and to sustain. I hope you've learned something about the Cuyahoga County Public Library today that surprised you, and I hope it's clear why we are one of the country's best library systems. These services would not be possible without our smart, hardworking team of library employees, over 800 strong, working in 27 locations and our administrative headquarters. And of course, our story would not be the same without the very best library customers in the country. We are the first in the nation per capita with lending materials. Cuyahoga County residents are readers, we're learners, and we know a good deal when we see one. But how are we funding all of this? And why is issue 70 critical to protect our library? Our budget is comprised largely of revenue from local property taxes. Nearly two thirds of our budget comes through local support. But as illustrated by this simple graph, our revenue has been declining. Cuyahoga County Public Library has not been to the ballot since 2008. Prior to the pandemic, we cut expenditures by $4 million each year. 
reducing our largest expenditure category, salaries and benefits, by 14.3% since 2009. In terms of FTE count, we've reduced by fully 10% in that time. The economic impact of the pandemic further compounds the library system's losses. We project a $5 million shortfall this year because funding from the state's public library fund has been reduced. Currently, the library has a 2.5 mil continuing tax that funds our library operations. This is the lowest tax rate of the nine libraries in Cuyahoga County. Because of our declining property values, we've received nearly 14% less from local property taxes last year than we did in 2009, the first year after our last levy. But even with this decline in revenue, we've stayed off the ballot for the last 12 years while enhancing services and improving facilities. We re-examined everything we did, from staffing to procurement to logistics, and we've managed to weather these declines while maintaining a 98% customer satisfaction rate. Among our peers across the state, Cuyahoga County favorably leverages our public resources. But after a great deal of analysis and careful consideration, the library's board of trustees has determined that without additional revenue, CCPL would be forced to reduce services, hours, and locations. For that reason, the board decided to ask voters in our 47 communities to support a one mill continuing levy for the purpose of operating expenses. What does that one mill represent? For residents in our 47 communities we serve, it will mean homeowners will pay an additional $2.91 each month per $100,000 in home value or approximately $35 per year. The funding will enable CCPL to remain on the path of continuous improvement. It will ensure we remain among the very best public libraries in the nation. The funds will allow us to continue to operate our 27 branches and maintain vital services. It will preserve weekend and evening hours. It will allow us to make necessary safety and security updates in our buildings. It will sustain a robust materials collection, including both physical books and our digital collection. And it will help to maintain the programs and services, many of which I've talked about today. As our board deliberated this issue last year, they considered what we would do without this additional funding. And it's not a positive scenario. Without this funding, we would be forced to take steps that would significantly limit access to our residents. Reductions in staffing, hours and locations would be implemented. Building maintenance would be deferred or even eliminated, putting our infrastructure at risk. We would need to make cuts to our materials budget, which would mean longer wait times for in-demand titles. And we would have to eliminate services, programs like our technology certification classes, new programs that address the digital divide, like our Wi-Fi hotspot lending program. As the library has created programs and services to meet the needs of our community, we have done so with continuously diminishing resources. We've reached a point where we cannot continue to operate as the nation's best public library system at our current funding level. As our community grapples with the short and long-term impacts of the pandemic, we cannot afford to damage the public library system. We anticipate increased demand for computer access, internet connectivity, and workforce programs as the newly unemployed try to get back to work. 
we know we need to be there for students and families who will struggle with distance learning. At a time when information and education are paramount to the health of our community and the survival of our democracy, we cannot cut off the community's most trusted information resource. I respectfully request your support for issue 70 and I welcome your questions. Thank you so much, Ms. Struggle. Um, in a few minutes, we'll turn to audience questions. And if you have questions for Ms. Struggle about issue 70, please text them again to 330-541-5794. Again, that's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at City Club. We look forward to hearing your questions. While we are collecting those, I want to ask, um, can you just reiterate, I know you, um, I wrote it down, it's about $35 a year for homeowners, correct? Correct. Um, do you envision any difficulties reaching voters due to the pandemic? It is a difficult time to campaign. Uh, you know, the traditional ways that we campaign, whether it's knocking on folks' doors or, you um, connecting with them in the branches, it's been hard. Uh, you know, we haven't been able to go speak to clubs and organizations like we, we typically would, like we did in 2008. So making those connections is both uh, challenging and expensive. Do you anticipate any, um, do you anticipate a shortcoming because we haven't been able to reach people in the traditional ways? Um, I, I don't anticipate that, but I certainly am concerned about that. Uh, we are doing everything we can to reach our voters, and we encourage voters to learn uh, all about the issue on our website and to learn about how they can help uh, on our campaign website, which is uh, voteforccpl.org. Thank you. Can you repeat that one more time for the folks who are slower? It's voteforccpl.org. And Thank that's you. where they can learn more, they can sign up to volunteer or even get a yard sign. We can Wonderful. deliver it right to their home. Wonderful. Well, we have some questions coming in. Great. With the April announcement that the library was laying off or furloughing 300 employees due to the a loss in um, stemming from the pandemic, if the levy increases pass, will those employees be hired back? Actually, many of them have been hired back, and some of them are actually um, directly associated with our uh, summer programming and our um, after-school programming. So um, we will be able to reinstate those positions uh, as more and more programs are able to happen within our buildings. And certainly as um, we are uh, passing, if we pass the issue. Are you seeing any opposition to the issue? Um, not, not directly from our voters at all. Uh, you may be aware that the um, Greater Cleveland Partnership has opposed the issue, but uh, our actual voters, our actual library users uh, have been very supportive and um, you know, very uh, proactive about offering to help. Um, what The question that just came in actually was to that point. The Greater Cleveland Partnership did refuse to endorse the levy. Can you speak to that refusal and to folks who are um, reticent about the support of the increase? What would you tell them? Sure. Uh, I know that there are concerns related to the nature of um, the, the issue being continuing, and I'm happy to address that, and that was a concern of the GCP. 
uh, in 2008, our last issue, we did transition our levy from uh, a renewable to a continuing issue that was supported very strongly by our community. Uh, I know that individuals get tired of seeing entities on the ballot over and over again. Um, they want to uh, know and, and trust that their library will be there consistently and of high quality. And we have a, an outstanding track record of fiscal responsibility and of um, doing more with less. And uh, I trust that the voters recognize that and that they'll support that. Thank you. Um, what, so one of the themes that resonated between your presentation and Eric Gordon's presentation is about this digital divide. Right. What is the library doing? I, I heard some amazing things. Can you kind of reiterate what the library is doing um, to address that? Right. The digital divide in our region is real and it is dangerous. It is something that many entities around the region are trying to address, but the library has been addressing it for more than a decade. Uh, we offer computers in our branches. I mentioned that 855,000 hours of computer use occurred in our branch just last year. We also offer Wi-Fi. So if you have your own device, but you cannot afford a subscription to broadband internet, you can use the library's Wi-Fi. And in fact, uh, the, the period in which we were closed um, during the, uh, the pandemic, we saw over 70,000 connections in our parking lots, in our parking lots. These were people doing schoolwork, uh, families trying to keep those grades up and keep engaged in their schools, even though they didn't have a connection at home. These were individuals uh, trying to apply for unemployment for the first time, uh, and they didn't have a connection, so they were in our parking lots. Um, the digital divide is something that we think about every day and work with our, our peer organizations around the county to resolve. We do lend Wi-Fi hotspots, thanks to the Cleveland Foundation. And um, we would like to maintain and grow that program should the levy pass. Okay. So we just had an, another question, um, re uh, um, stressing the, the cost. How much is it per month that a, uh, that a, a homeowner would be spending? The new levy represents $2.91 per month for each $100,000 in property value, so under $3 a month. Thank you. Does the fact that Tri-C levy increase was on the ballot last year and the HHS levy increase on the ballot in spring cause any concern about the increasing financial pressures on homeowners in the county? Well, um, all of those entities are important to serving the community. The library serves everyone. The library serves um, everyone from the most educated individuals to those who are struggling to, uh, to better their lives and their situations. And uh, for less than $3 per month, we believe that uh, our community, our residents see the value of, of a high quality library system and what it brings not only to their lives, but how it improves the lives of their neighbors uh, across the county. Can you speak to um, some, of the, some of the modifications that have happened and services since the pandemic? Sure. Um, we are open in all 27 locations, uh, 65 hours per week. We opened um, in, in on July 6th and uh, we began curbside service or drive up service uh, the 1st of June. So while we were closed for a period of time and offering uh, our digital services and virtual programming, we are now 
um, open for business and seeing uh, lots of traffic every single day. Uh, people are looking to take a class. They're looking to um, an online class. They're looking to connect to the internet. They're looking to build a resume. We have students here who are doing remote school in our buildings. In fact, we're hosting learning pods uh, in Warrensville Heights where small groups uh, of the same consistent students come to the branch to learn from a school teacher uh, because they don't have access at home. Uh, so we've made a number of adjustments. We are not yet doing um, uh, in-person programming of large groups due to the, the governor's regulations, but we are offering an incredible number of virtual programs, uh, especially author visits have been it's so, so very popular. Just this week, we've had um, Jody Picole, Sue Miller, and uh, Dirk Backdorf uh, come to us virtually. Uh, that's three big authors in uh, three days, and, and that's been, um, you know, people are tuning in wondering what Cuyahoga County Public Library is doing each night. Wonderful. Um, I, I wrote down the number, you said 900 people attended one virtual program. That's amazing. So kudos to you guys for that. Our record, uh, uh, however, uh, was over the summer at 1,600. <laughs> well, you're doing something right, but and that's and that's people all over the nation. So hopefully we're when connecting. Yes. Yeah, so hopefully we're connecting with those in our own backyards. Um, another question: regularly filling our 400 seat auditorium to oh, for visits. So people people love to connect with their favorite authors. Uh, we have an incredible community of readers and writers here in Cuyahoga County. Very good, very good. Um, I have another question that came in from the audience. They uh, they asked, you listed out all the city libraries compared to the county libraries. Why do we have such a fractured system and why can't libraries merge? Sure, no, that's a great question. Um, so uh, it, it really all boils down to the Ohio Revised Code and the tradition of libraries in communities. So the eight independent library systems were established prior to um, Ohio establishing a countywide system or a, a regional system. And so they were essentially grandfathered and allowed to remain independent. Uh, the choice to merge with the county system is a local choice. It is not something that uh, we can go in like a corporate raider and take over. Uh, it's something that a community decides for um, themselves. And uh, you know, we, we would certainly engage in conversation if a community had interest in joining the library but uh, it's not something we would instigate. Thank you very much for that. Um, what will you do if the plan doesn't pass? There will be significant reductions in hours, in locations. Uh, there will likely be um, staff layoffs. There will likely be uh, deferred maintenance, even eliminated projects. Um, in the area of keeping our, our buildings, our infrastructure healthy and, and safe and secure. Uh, so it will definitely be something that is uh, incredibly challenging. And frankly, we would likely go back to the ballot um, in the coming months. Okay, um, thank you for that. Sure. I wanna know if it does pass, how will you ensure that the increased dollars will be addressed, like it will be used to what we discussed here and it won't be reallocated for different purposes? Well, these are operating dollars and they can only be allocated towards operating expenses. And that involves everything from um, staff salaries to the electric bill to purchasing a, a collection. 
Our customers certainly let us know when we're not doing a good job at that. We are very transparent. Um, like uh, Mr. Gordon said, in the schools, we do a CAFR report, a very, uh, very detailed annual financial report, and it can all be seen right there. Our board of trustees oversee uh, all of our spending. We meet monthly, and they, uh, they, the seven members of our board who are volunteers uh, oversee everything we do. Um, and we're because we have five million visitors a year. Uh, that's five million, well, ten million eyes on us, and uh, we are always responsive and respectful of how they think we're doing. Yeah. Um, for our last question that came in, we have about a minute to wrap it up. But if the levy fails, does that endanger the ability to pay back any bond related to new construction that you guys are doing? Our our bonds um, are paid by our state dollars, our public library fund dollars, um, which, uh, like Mr. Gordon mentioned, uh, come up uh, for review every two years uh, with the biennium budget process. But those, um, that dollar, that, that debt is paid with those dollars. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So that brings us to the end of our discussion on issue 70. Thank you so much for joining us, Ms. Strobel. Thank um, you. Thank you. This was riveting. I learned. I learned a lot, even of the history of how you know the the libraries were formed and the eight ones that we do have their grandfather in. So I hope our audience took something from that. I will now turn it back over to Mr. Tarter, who will deliver our closing remarks. Thanks so much, Kayla. I'm Will Tarter, Associate of Public Policy and External Affairs at the Center for Community Solutions and co-chair of the City Club Debate Committee. Today's forum featured discussion on two proposed levy measures. Issue 68, a 15 mil levy renewal with a 5 mil increase for the Cleveland Municipal School District. And issue 70, a permanent 1 mil tax increase to support the Cuyahoga County Public Library System. We heard from Eric Gordon, CEO of Cleveland Municipal School District, and Ch Tracy Strobel, Executive Director of the Cuyahoga County Public Library. Community partners on today's forum are Cleveland Votes and the League of Women Voters of Greater Cleveland. We appreciate their support and membership. City Club virtual forums are sponsored by Bank of America, the Cleveland Foundation, Eaton, the George Gund Foundation, KeyBank, Nordson, the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, NPNC, and the many more generous members, sponsors, and donors listed on their website at cityclub.org slash thank you. You can join them in supporting the City Club's work when you make a contribution or become a member at cityclub.org. Thanks for joining us today. Our 2020 Issues Forum is now adjourned. <laughs>